0: Today we're going to be talking about David. And when I started thinking about David, King David, there were so many different things. Uh, it's like uh, you could you could do preach a whole year on King David. But as I started thinking about this, all of the things that happened in his life, I began to look at this common denominator as I read through all of his accolades and all of these stories. And all came down to something, and, and young people, I hope that you're tuned in today as well as last week. But one of the things that I really hope that we all gather from this is that is he had a circle of people around him that without them, he would not have succeeded the way that he did. So I want to talk today about your circle of influence is crucial to your success in life. One of the things I've shared with the leaders a lot is this one statement. Great leaders surround themselves with great leaders. Um, I remember when I was a young pastor, um, there was multiple times that I was um, intimidated by people who were godly. I was intimidated, and I was always like, well, man, if I bring that person in here, uh, to help me with this, what if they just take over? You know, what? If, what if they just they were just take the ball and and run with it, and then I'm I don't have anything. And 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 I started surrounding myself with people who said yes. To have a lot of people around your life that just says yes to everything you want to do is not always a good thing, especially with me. I need some people who are strong enough to say uh, no. That is not a good idea. Daniel, have you prayed about that? Have you been thinking about this? Have you processed it in your head before it came out of your mouth? Um, and so one of the things that I began to learn is uh, uh, from, from a lot of people around me is that when, when you begin to place people in your life that are better than you at the areas that you're not good at, that's when you can really accomplish something great. And one of the things that I am so I'm so proud in a good way, a good kind of proud. I'm so proud to serve with the elders and the deacons and the ministry leaders of this church because there is godly greatness out of the leadership in this church. And I am just so proud to just be a part of it, just to be a piece of it. And I am absolutely convinced that when you begin to place great people around you, great things start happening. And this is what we see throughout david 's life but I want I want to first define what the word influence means influence is the capacity to have an effect on the character development and behavior of someone else so here's the deal is as is, is kids everyone here every one of you from from no matter how old you are but the people that you choose to place in your circle they will have a direct impact and an effect on your character, on your development as a human being, and on your behavior. In fact, other definitions for influence was the power to change someone, the power to have an important effect on someone. And here's the reality. You choose who are the people who have a direct effect in your life. Your circle of influence is absolutely vital to your character. In fact, I I was reading something and somebody says, "Well, I I had looked at this influence and I was like, well, influence looks a lot like manipulation. So I I thought, you know what, I need to make sure that I clarify this because influence, you're like, wow, somebody having the power, the power to change someone else, You know what the difference between influence and manipulation? Your intent. See, people who have an intent on helping themselves and it's about them, they will try to manipulate you. But people who love you and care about you, they want to influence. So the difference between influence and manipulation is the intent. But one passage that I would encourage everyone to memorize first First Corinthians fifteen thirty three. do not be misled. What this is saying is, and I say this, guys, I don't know that there's very many sermons that I preach that I don't quote this at some point, it seems. Do not be misled. That means don't let someone else lead you astray. Don't be misled away from the truth and what, and, and, and what it means. So bad company corrupts good character. So, your circle of influence is important because if you surround yourself with people who have bad character, what do you think is going to happen to your character? It will be impacted. So, all right, enough. So, here's five things that I look for in a friend. These are the things that we're going to find in all the friends of David. Five things, all right? So, I even did it in a diagram. You're welcome. So, the five things that I'm looking for are people who are humble. Because if someone's humble, they will put you first. When you find people in your life, what you want in a friend is that they're humble. That they care about you. Not that they want to use you to get ahead. That's not a real friend. You want to find people who are humble. You want to find people who are honest. They will speak the truth, even when it hurts. You want someone who's brave, courageous, people who will fight for you. I, I, I want friends that when somebody else is talking bad about me, that my friend will like, uh, you don't know him like I do. That's the kind of friend, you want somebody who's brave that will fight for you when you can't fight. You want someone who's loyal, that they'll be with you to the very end. That at when, no matter what happens in your life, when the dust settles, they're standing next to you. And the most important of all, as I'm looking for someone who God is at the center of their life, I want to find someone who loves God more than they love me. One of the things that I hope for every one of my children, for, for my girls who are the oldest right now, is that, like, and I say this often, is that I want them to find a boy who loves God more than they love the girl. Because if they love God most, then I know that they will know how to love my daughter right. So, let's look at four different characters. First, Jonathan. Here's something interesting about Jonathan when we find in the Bible. And I'm going to show you these different scriptures. But Jonathan. So, we're going to start with humility. With humility, a friend will place you before himself. And I want to share this passage out of Philippians. And then I'm going to tell you a little bit about who Jonathan is. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. You catch that? In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. That's not only the kind of friend you should be to others, but the kind of people that you should be looking for to be in your circle. So how does Jonathan fit this? First, you need to know a couple of things about Jonathan. Jonathan was son to King Saul. Not to King David, to King Saul. King Saul was the king, current king, and God rejected him as king. We've already studied that before. And therefore, David was anointed to be the next king. So it was going to leave the lineage of Saul, and the next king was going to be David. But here's the problem. Saul had sons too. One of them was Jonathan Heir to the throne. In King Saul's mind, Jonathan is the next king. But Jonathan loved David. Jonathan became one in spirit with David. And he loved him as himself. Right? Jonathan was in a position... The prince of Israel, he's the next king. And he became one in spirit with David. He loved him. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him himself. Jonathan took off his robe he was wearing. He gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Is that not a beautiful picture of him saying, listen, my, my, my kingly robe, my, all of this that, is, that defines me visually, I'm handing over. You're, you're wearing my sword, my tunic, my robe. Something that we just, so amazing how Jonathan places David where he does. So a little bit later... Jonathan had taken a great liking in the very next chapter, 19, verse 1. It says, but Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Realize this is his father. He is is going behind his father's back here and saying, David, you need to watch out. My dad wants to kill you. He's looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard. Then Jonathan went back and spoke well of David to Saul, his father. Let, nothing, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. But even at a later time, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants around him, I want you to kill David. Jonathan did not. And here's what happened. Saul's anger flared up towards Jonathan and he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. There's a line, right? You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. All the men in the room are like, I'm going to remember that one. Just don't say that in front of your wife. To your kids. So, Don't I know that you have sided? Listen to this. Don't I know you've sided with the son of Jesse? See, what's happening is King Saul's like, I'm trying to establish Jonathan as the next king. Jonathan had sided with David, forsaking his chances of becoming the king. He put David before himself to a place where his position wasn't even going to happen. Don't I know that you've sided with son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone. Bring him to me. He must die. This is how Jonathan replies. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Saul hurled a spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. Jonathan got up from the table with fierce anger. On the second day of the feast, he did not eat. He was grieved at his father's, father's shameful treatment of David. How many, you know, we live in America, and America kind of sometimes seems like this dog-eat-dog dog world. How many people, because of the culture has impacted us, or maybe we should say the culture has influenced us so much that how many of us would have said, you know what, Dad, Saul, Dad, you're right. I'm going to lure him in here. We're going to kill him so that I can establish myself. How many of us would ruin the reputation of a friend so that we could get ahead? How many of us would, would defame someone, speak bad against them, gossip about them, complain about them, to try to get someone else to look at them in different eyes just to try to move ourselves up. See, what I love about Jonathan is that he would not do that because that is the mark of a true friend. A mark of a true friend is somebody who is humble, And they place you before themselves. Nathan is another one. Nathan was a prophet. (laughs) Meet Nathan the prophet. So um, we're gonna learn about this. With honesty, a friend will speak the truth. (laughs) Prophets were not generally liked, prophets were not popular. Um, prophets were the ones who, who they would, would, would come into the situation and they would speak exactly what is the, the truth of the matter when a lot of people don't want to hear the truth. How, how many of you guys love to be corrected? Like, man, I just can't wait for somebody to come over and correct me. All right. No lying in church. All right, so, so here's the thing. Kids, how many of you like it when you get in trouble? You like it when your parents correct you? what if you were wrong? Still don't like it. So here's the reality is that we we don't typically like when the person comes in and says, yeah, you were wrong. You shouldn't have done that. You need to do it this way. We don't typically like that. But guess what? We need that. What would have happened if you didn't have parents in your life to correct your actions when they were wrong? You probably wouldn't be the type of adult you are today. Or maybe you went down the wrong road for so long saying, I wished I had a parent who would have corrected me when I was young so I wouldn't have turned out this way. Either way, we come to a point as we mature. If you are mature as a human being, you look back at life and say, Wow, I needed people in my life to speak the truth. If you didn't get it, you wished you did. If you got it, you're thankful that you did. But we need that kind of person in our life. Uh, Big Mike Osborne, he, uh, I used to have lots of dinners with him. And one, one dinner, well, several dinners we, would, we had. And, and he said, uh, he would say the same thing over and over to me. Um, what does love demand of us? To speak the truth. Love demands that I would speak the truth. Even sometimes when somebody doesn't want the truth. Well, how does Nathan fit into this story? Whew. Okay. Every story has uh, the climactic, dangerous trouble, getting in trouble. So David committed adultery. He, he, was, he stayed home when he should have been with his army. He was standing on his roof and he was looking out and he saw a woman bathing. She was very beautiful. He saw her bathing. He decided, I want her to come on over. They said, well, she's married. He says, I don't care. Well, I'm paraphrasing, guys. Uh, 2 Samuel 12, 11 and 12, if you want to go further. But um, it's chapter 11 is when the story starts. So he, he brings her over. He sleeps with her. Sends her back. All things are fine. She sends word, I'm pregnant. Now... David says, I got to cover up my sin. So then he calls for her husband, who's actually fighting for his nation. Bring him back. Hey, go home. Clean up. Have a night with your wife. The man refused. He says, I'm not going to go home because all the men who are fighting for our, our nation and for our God are sitting there at the battle line. So when they all come home, I'll go home. Well, now deception's not going to work. So what David did is he wrote a letter to the commander of the army, saying, I want you to put this guy at the very front of the battle line. When the battle gets fierce, draw everybody back and let him die. So, committing adultery, trying to lie about it, and then murder. David is not doing well. Nathan shows up. Nathan says, I got a story for you, David. David's like, okay. He goes, you need to know something happened in your kingdom. There was a a poor man who had just one little lamb that's all he owned just this little lamb it's all he had but a but a rich man a powerful man who had lots of sheep took that one little lamb and he he killed the lamb and he fed it to his friends all the while he had his own sheep but he took the only thing this little this old man had and david was furious and he says that man must die For he had no pity on that little poor man. And Nathan said, you are the man. You had no pity. This is what the Lord says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and the master, your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah, and if that was too little, I would have given you more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, one of the things that you need to know about Nathan, and we're going to get there, but Nathan is throughout David's whole story. David, Nathan didn't just show up one day and say, hey, David, you're an idiot. See you later. When everything in the kingdom was falling apart at the very end of David's life, Nathan was there to help hold it together. Nathan wasn't just a guy who came in, sandblasted you, and then walked out of your life. He was the kind that I'm going to speak truth, but I'm right here. I'm not leaving, but I am going to speak the truth. We need people in our lives who will speak the truth, but don't leave. The worst kind of person is the kind of person who just knocks you upside the head with the truth and then walks out like they don't care about you. That is not Nathan. In fact, what ends up happening next is then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. but But because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the Son born to you will die. Can you imagine being a friend and having to share these words that Nathan had to share? It would have been so much easier just like, God, I don't want to actually tell my friend that. I mean, how many times in your own life have you felt like you needed to go tell your friend something and they weren't going to like it, but you really felt in your heart, I need to tell something to my friend. How many of you have been in that situation? And you're like, I don't want to do it. But you know what real friends do? Real friends are the people who say, I love you, but I'm going to speak truth to you. You know, one of the things that I find also amazing and talking about salvation, do you know what happens if you die and you're not saved? That is an eternity in damnation. That is eternity in the hell. See, one of the things that I have, I've heard a lot of parents over the years tell me, you know, when their kids are kind of going down the wrong road, and they're like, I just want my kids to make up their own choice. Well, yeah, they have to make up their own choice. I always say, you know, I would, I, I'm going to be more strict on my kids going to church than I, I they'll skip school before they skip church. Because what, what we're learning here is he, has eternal consequences. I don't have to know what 2 plus 2 equals to get to heaven, but I sure need to know about Jesus. <laughs> okay? All right? So, I mean, I, luckily I do know what 2 plus 2 is, so that's 5. I mean, everybody knows that. So um, so here's the thing, though, is um, I, I graduated from Warsaw. Um, so, <laughs> you just now got the, that's all right. So, but here's what I want you to understand is that, 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 if you really love your kids, you're going to make sure that you're teaching them what's important. So if you're a, a, a true friend to someone, you're going to make sure that they know how to get to heaven. Jared Reeves. Stand up, Jared. So Jared was my best friend in high school. <laughs> he was, he was the, the big kid that had a, a, a mustache and a beard way too early. And and I was the mouthy one. I was super mouthy, all the time mouthy. And, and, and you know, so I, I needed somebody who looked like they were a lot tougher than I was because I was going to talk myself into a fight, and I needed not to get into the fight. And so... Jared was my buddy. We got in all kinds of trouble together. Uh, we got kicked off the bus together, like in fifth grade. I remember that. And he's like, why am I with you? You always get me in trouble. I'm like, we're having a good time though. Like we're in trouble, but this is fun. You know, hey, we're going to have a story to tell our kids one day what not to do. But I remember that I, I, when I, when I really, when God got a hold of my life and I moved back to this area, I remember the first thing is I was like, I knew Jared was around. And I'm like, I don't know if Jared knows Jesus. Like that was my first concern was like, he needs to get saved. He's my buddy. And you know what? Every time I would share my faith with him, he would get mad and wouldn't talk to me for like three months. So the last time, right before he got saved, I was either we're somebody's drowning or something's good's gonna happen. We got in a boat that time. I said, let's get in a boat. We're gonna go out fishing in the boat. And I knew that he was not gonna go swimming. He's not getting in the water. I just kept sharing my best friend Jesus with my best friend here on earth. You see, that's what good friends do. Even if somebody doesn't want to hear it, even if they get mad at you when they do hear it, the most important thing that you can share with your friend is how to get to heaven. So, we need Nathans in our life. We need people who love us enough to say that we're, when we're acting stupid, they need to call us off the ledge. They need to be people who don't just say yes, 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 I'm going to say yes to whatever you want. We need people who will call us out. And we need an, an biche. I, I, this is one of my favorite characters in all of David's stories, this guy, um, and, and, and he's going to be about bravery. With, with, a, with bravery, a friend will fight for you, um, to, to stand for me when, when no one else can. So let me tell you a little bit about this guy. Um, David was a lot older at this point in, in where we're getting into the scriptures, 2 Samuel 21. He's a lot older. He, he stayed home in a previous battle and got in a lot of trouble for staying home because that's when he, he met Bathsheba. And he's like, oh, it's not a good idea for me to stay home and twiddle my fingers all day. You know, um, uh, you know I don't need to be at home. So I'm going to go with the army. So he goes out, and they're fighting against the Philistines again. And David went down with his men to fight against them, and he became exhausted. So he's in battle. He's done this 100 times over. He's one of the greatest warriors in all of the Bible. And how he finds himself exhausted. And Ishbi Benob, one of the descendants of Rapha, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels. I think it's seven and a half pounds. And he was armed with a new sword, said he would kill David. Now, I want to tell you something interesting about Ishbi Benob. How many of you know who Goliath is? Everybody have heard of Goliath, Right. Well, so Rapha is Goliath's dad. This is one of, whether be a cousin or a brother to Goliath. You have another giant. So Goliath has been slain. David is now getting older. One of the descendants, one of the relatives of the slain Goliath stands up and says, Hey, the king is tired. I'm going to kill him. Here's the moment to revenge Goliath. I love it. But Abashe, son of Zariah, came to David's rescue. He struck the Philistine down, killed him. David's men swore, never again are you going to come to battle you know, for that happening again. Here's what's amazing. So David killed Goliath. As a young man, he was was full of energy. He fought Goliath, slayed Goliath, and and now he became a hero to the entire nation. And now we find ourselves, years, 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 years later, another giant stands up to, to kill David. And now David's too exhausted to fight. Wouldn't it be great to have somebody in your life that when you're too exhausted, I can't go another step, they'll stand up for you when you can. Wouldn't it be great to have that kind of a friend? And I want to even go further. Are you that kind of a friend for others? When they can't stand any longer, when they can't fight any longer, do you stand up for them? Now, something also to know about this man, he was with David in the beginning. When David was hiding in caves... Abishai was the same one with him. Every time David was about to, you know, Saul was—he cut off the corner of Saul's garment and, and to, to show Saul, I don't have an evil intent. I didn't—I could have killed you. But I didn't. Abishai was the one like, kill him, kill him. You know cuz here the, God has given you the enemy your enemies in your hand kill them and and David's like no I'm not going to he's the Lord's anointed I'm not going to do that and another time they snuck into the camp Saul's camp together and could have killed Saul a second time and Abishai is the same one going right now he's asleep the Lord put him in a sleep you should kill him be done with it become the king today Abishai was with him in the beginning and Abishai stayed with him all the way to the very end, even when David didn't agree with them. Two times David did not take his advice. It would have made all their lives a lot easier. It would have been so much easier for David and all of his men if they would have killed Saul the first time. They were hiding in caves, hiding in caves. Can you imagine to hide in a cave to just try to stay alive? Turning around, getting chased from one place to another, place. and in fact, they ended up getting chased all the way over, and they started living with the Philistines. And they had two chances to kill the guy doing it, and then they could have became David could have became the king right then and there, and they could have been living in the palace instead of in a cave. David disagreed and said, "I am not doing that." And Abishai stayed with him anyways. He could have he could have then said, "You know what? I'm done." I'm going to help Saul out because I want to go back to the palace. I want to be in the palace, not in a cave. Do you have such a friend like that with you to the very end? Now, I'm going to tell you somebody you may never heard of. Anybody recognize this guy's name? Sounds like a, makes me think of a banana, but it's not banana. Benea. Anybody heard of Banea? Like, see, banana. So, with loyalty, a friend will be with you to the end, regardless of the circumstance. Something interesting. So you guys may not know of him, but he's found in the book of 2 Samuel 23. He is mentioned in the 30 mighty men of David. So one of the things that was amazing is that David had such a special fighting force. There were 30 men who were absolute warriors in his special guard and this was one among the 30 in fact he got named among the top three he defeated he defeated two they called them lion like moabs he actually killed an actual lion and then he killed a giant uh egyptian that was was, was seemed to be unbeatable But you know what his greatest achievement was? The greatest achievement found in this man was not his military exploits, but his loyalty to King David. Proverbs 18.24 says this, a man who has friends must be friendly. (laughs) How about that for a proverb? Right? Kind of makes me think of an old Chinese proverb, run in front of car, get tired. Run behind car, get exhausted. So. Okay. Okay. All right. A man move on. A man who has friends must be friendly. There's a lot of wisdom there for you. But a, but there's a friend who sticks closer to a brother than a brother. All right. In 1 Kings, here's where it comes. At the very end, David is now very old. He is now kind of bedridden. Um and in fact, they're surrounding him with people to try to keep him warm in the bed. So he doesn't have a lot of life left. And what happens is David ma- married many women, had many sons. So guess what? There's an absolute scramble. For who's going to be the next king? Because David hasn't said anything yet. King David didn't go in front of the throne and say, okay, nation, here's the next guy. So nobody knows. He's about to die. All of these sons of his, all of these potential heirs to the throne are all deciding who's going to be. So now Ed and I, um, whose mother was Haggith, put himself forward and says, I'll be the king. Now, look what he did. He conferred with Joab. Now, Joab is King David's commander-in-chief of the army. Did you notice who he didn't confer with? The king. And Abithar, the priest, and they gave him their support. Notice also who didn't. So Joab didn't confer with David, he didn't confer with David, and the priest didn't confer with David. They all just said, oh, sounds good, we're with you. But the same scripture, so now verse 7 and 8, right here, but Zadok the priest, Bnei the son of Jehoda, Nathan the prophet, there he is again, shimei Ray, and David's special guard did not join Adonai. You know why? Because they hadn't consulted, because the king hasn't made his mind up yet. He hasn't made the decision. He hasn't. So they're like, wait, we're loyal to him. We're waiting on him. He will tell us what he wants to do, and that's what we're with. This other guy rose up and said, hey, I'm going to be the king. They're like, it sounds good to me. And they all jumped on. So. He then, the son, sacrificed sheep, cattle, fattened calves. He did it all on the stone. And, and, and he invited all of his brothers, the king's sons, and all the royal officials of Judah. So he is making himself king. It's a public display. He's doing the, 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 the sacrificing of the sheep on the sacred stone. Everyone's invited except he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Beniah the special guard, or his brother Solomon. I'm going to invite all the people who I think will be with me, and I'm going to leave everybody else out. King David then said, when he found out about this, he says, call the priest, Zadok, call Nathan. Remember, Nathan's the one who called him out, right? The the friend that said, hey, uh, you're wrong. You're not in the will of God. You are sinning against God, and you better stop it. He says, call that guy. Call Benaiah call these three. When they came before the king, he said, take the Lord's servant with you and have Solomon, my son, mount my mule. Take him down to Gahon. There Zadok, the priest, Nathan, the prophet will anoint him. And you're sitting there going, well, what is Benaiah's job? You got Nathan, you got the priest, they're going to anoint him. They're going to blow the trumpets, say long live the King Solomon. Then you're to go up with him and, uh, and he is to come and sit on my throne and reign in my Place I have appointed him ruler of the Judah. So, so then I'm sitting here going, well, you you called for three guys and you only gave two jobs. Now listen to this. This is what Benaiah says. Benaiah then says to the king, Amen. May the Lord, the God of my lord, the king, so declare it. As the Lord was with my lord, the king, so may He be with Solomon to make his throne even greater than the throne of my lord, King David. Isn't that kind of cool? He's like, he's like, I'm the support guy. Let's do this. Whatever you say, I'm with you. I mean, that's what loyalty looks like. Hey, you're in? I'm with What do you. Yes, I'm with you. Let's go. Loyalty is with you to the end. See, it would have been really easy at this point to all your forces join up with Adonai because he's already got all the officials, he's got the priest, he's got all of the other people on his side, and guess what? If he gets established as king, he's going to kill everyone in his path that's against him. So now you look at, well, who's not on his side? One priest, one prophet, and one, one dude. There's three. And yet, that's what loyalty looks like. So Zadok the priest, uh, the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah, these three guys. Uh, son of the, then, the, then there were some Karethites that joined in, the Pelethites, a whole bunch of ites, all right? And Solomon mounted the King David's mule, and they escorted him too. So you look at this, and you're like, wow, this is pretty awesome, right? That's what friendship, that's what my circle of influence, that's the kind of people I want in my life. But here's the thing, last but not least, definitely not least, we want God at the very center of life. See, if God is at the center of my life, then I know I'll never be alone, I'll never be rejected, because this is what God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So when I start thinking about, one, I've got earthly friends who hopefully, I don't just have, you know, that they, they share all of those qualities but you know the most important relationship and the center of the, the the most centerpiece of my circle of influence should be God. So I want to ask you a question. How does God fit into your life? See, is God just a piece of your life? And this is what that would look like. He's a piece of the pie. God is he, I, I go, hey, I'm 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 at church on Sunday. I go to Sunday school. I'm a part of the youth group or I'm a, I'm a part of the worship. I am I, you know God is a piece of my life. I gave him a good piece. But you know, but then I have my my family and, and I've got my my work and and what happens is we divide our life like it's a pie. And 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 everything has its own piece that's completely separate. No, God should be the center of your family. God should be the centerpiece of your work. God should be the centerpiece of your fun and your play and all of those things. This is what our life should. He should be your very life. Him at the center and everything coming out of God at the center of my life. When I start raising my family as God is the center, my hope and prayer is that God will be the center of my kids' life. And when they leave my house and they start their own house, God will then be the center of that house. You see, God is the most influential person or being in my life. He should be for you as well. And David showed this over and over and over. Remember when David was young, like I talked to the youth earlier. He tells Saul, don't worry about Goliath. Your servant has killed both a lion and a bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Then David later on says to the Philistine as they're drawing up their battle, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. Look at this, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. Woo! Good to have friends in high places. <laughs> the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down, cut off your head. This is the Bible story. That was a teenager telling a grown giant. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. Does the whole neighborhood know there's a God in your house? Huh? Does all of your classmates know there's a God in your life? Does your whole job know that there's a God in your heart? He says, today the whole world's going to know that there's a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. See, what's amazing is that when we start, as we're talking about friendship, one last passage, guys. Jesus makes this statement in John 15. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than he lay down one's life for his friends jesus said you are my friends if you do what i command i no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business instead i have called you friends for everything that i learned from my father i have made known to you isn't that awesome jesus right here in the very word of god calls us friends, and He wants to be the centerpiece of your circle of influence. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe the most important thing that we could ever do is give our life to Jesus. I remember I was eight years old at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Miami, Oklahoma. I may not have been, may have been nine, but I was at that very young age and I remember as a little kid that I wanted Jesus to be in my heart. I remember being so nervous, we didn't sit in the front of the church, we sat kind of towards the back and I remember being afraid. and. My mom took me by the hand and she walked me down the aisle. The only thing I remember is that the carpet was red. (laughs) But I remember that day that I gave my life to Jesus. Every one of us at some point in our life has a day. A day where we give our life to Jesus. You see, if you're waiting to have all the answers in life, you're never going to have all the answers because faith is about me believing not necessarily always seeing i have never seen jesus in the flesh but i know with every ounce of my being that he is real he died on the cross for my sins and he has saved me and i know with beyond a shadow of a doubt that he lives in my heart and he is my best friend Is there anyone here today that says, I need to give my life to Jesus? Today is the day that I want to make Jesus my best friend. Is there anyone? It's not hard. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God first thing that I do is I confess I'm a sinner no different than David. I've sinned. I've sinned. I've done wrong. I've told lies. I've taken things that weren't mine. I've hurt people. And then I ask the creator of the universe, God, forgive me. Forgive me of my sin and save me. Come into my life. what salvation is, being saved from sin and death. See, when I ask the Lord to come into my life, He forgives me of my sin and then He makes me a child of God and an heir to the kingdom of heaven. Death won't hold me down. Now the altar is open. Anyone who needs to come, maybe Maybe God has convicted you today of the kind of friend you have been, and maybe you just need to, God, help me to be a better friend. Maybe today is a day that you need to come and you need to say, God, thank you for being that friend. Maybe you've found in your life that you've given God a piece of your life, but you've never really surrendered your whole life. God, I want to give everything, everything. God, you have access to everything in my life. Maybe there's something going on at home and you need to pray right now. Maybe you need to pray for someone else. Maybe you as a friend need to come and intercede on somebody else's behalf. Maybe you have a friend right now, maybe a family member right now that's walking down the wrong road. Maybe you just need to say, God, I'm praying for my friend. The altar is open.